All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, just for the, the storytelling of Luke, how he, he has laid out um, just really the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in this systematic way, uh, really for people like us, the, the non-Jewish people who don't have uh, really a foundation in the Old Testament, that he laid it out in a way that's easy and understandable and relevant for us. And so today I pray, Father, that as we go through this, this story and we see some conflict in Jesus's life, we pray that you would help us to see uh, what happened in context and that we would see how it applies to our life today. Help us to see principles and how uh, we can transfer them to our life and that we could walk with you just faithfully day by day. And it's in Christ's good name I pray, amen. All right, Luke chapter six, verse one. Now it happened that while he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with them? Now he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except for the priests alone. And he gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and he came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored but they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And Father, we do thank you again for this day. We thank you for this, this story or these two stories uh, wrapped around the Sabbath day. We pray that you would help us to understand what's being said here. And again, that we would see applications to our own lives. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, so last week I pointed out that so far in Luke, we've sort of seen sort of like this, this hopscotching through various people's lives, that there, there were people who um, we, we see their need for Jesus and we see Jesus respond to them. And throughout Luke also, we, in, in addition to like lives, there's, there's points of conflict that Jesus faces and there's, there's points where he's sort of confronted by the religious leaders. And today is uh, the second of, of, of these conflicts where if you were paying attention, you'll see that the conflict that he's facing is dealing with the Sabbath day. And so he's confronted by the religious leaders about the things that he's doing on a Saturday. And so we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, up above me, behind me, uh, I've listed the three times that the, this story is listed in the Gospels. Uh, we see here in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Over in Matthew, it's in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And in Mark, it's chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. 
Um, I may or may not turn over there, but if I reference uh, the other ones or I, I say something about this story that's not in the text before us and I fail to like mention where it came from, it's coming from one of the other, uh, other accounts of what happened in this, uh, in this event. Okay, so we pick up on, on uh, verse one. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. This is just a, a beautiful little story. It's like Jesus and his guys, are, they're on a, a stroll. It's a Saturday. They're going through the grain fields. But we're introduced to this word, the Sabbath. And it's important for us to pick up. So for a lot of us, as we get into the story, we may or may not understand what the deal is with the Sabbath. But as you go through this, this word Sabbath pops up a whole bunch of different times. And clearly, uh, what you could and couldn't do on this particular day uh, was important to the Jewish people. And so it's important for us to sort of like answer the question, what is the Sabbath? What's the big deal behind it? What's, like, what's going on here? Um, so if we were to back up in the Bible and we were to go to Exodus, you can actually go to Exodus. As I get there, you can find your way. It's towards the beginning of the Bible. And in Exodus uh, chapter 20, kind of where we, where we know sort of affectionately is the Ten Commandments. It's over in that, that uh, category. Um, so the Sabbath is Saturday. Um, it was the seventh day of their week. Their week went from Sunday through, through uh, Friday, and then Saturday was the seventh day. It would run from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, uh, their days, the way they understood the days were a little bit differently, different than we understand our days. We understand our days to go from sort of midnight to 11.59, and next week we'll see that uh, we're going to lose one of those uh, hours. And uh, um, they understood it as like when the sun set, that was the beginning of a new day, and then it went till the sun set the next day. And the reason they thought this way is because if you go to Genesis, you'll see that uh, it was evening and then morning, day one. It was evening, then morning, day one. You see that pattern in, in creation. Uh, it was the understanding of how days work, basically, from, from the Bible. Somewhere along the lines, we've sort of shifted our understanding. And so it's the, the seventh day. In Hebrew, or in Hebrews, in Exodus, uh, as the Ten Commandments are, are unfolding, we have to remember sort of contextually of, of where the people of Israel found themselves during this time. So if we, we kind of left off in Genesis, remember they were down, they were down in Egypt. Uh, Joseph had made a name for himself. He was super uh, well-received by, by the, the Egyptian people. He'd sort of rose to prominence as the, as the um, what am I, not the, I'm like blanking on the word, uh, fat when not fasting, uh, famine. That's the word I'm looking for. The memory bank. It's like okay, I'm scrolling like really quickly, going through all the words in my head. I'm like no, 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 no. Oh, that's the one. Um, <clears throat> so there's a, there's a famine. God had given him these dreams, and so he prepared for 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 preparation so that the people of Egypt would have uh, resources and power. And then ultimately, if his family comes down, his family's super well received. We ended Genesis. Eventually this year. We're going to pause in Luke, and we're going to go back to the story, and we're going to pick up in Egypt. And so as the... We're going to go back to Egypt. We are going to go back to Egypt. We're going to go... There's too many files open in my brain. Like, you think the time change happened last night. Um, we're going to go back to Exodus, which is in Egypt. And, and so as Exodus begins to open, 
we see that a couple generations goes by and, and the people of, of Israel grew numerically and the leaders of, of Egypt, they had kind of forgotten about Joseph and they forgotten the history and they began to grow more and more concerned about the Jewish people in their land. And so they ultimately were taken into bondage and they were made slaves. And so there's great debate. You can research this on your own. We know that uh, the people of Israel were in Egypt for about 430 years. Uh, some say 400 years, some say 430. It just kind of depends on who you talk to. And, and somewhere during that journey, they became slaves. So the, the shortest number that they were slaves that I think you can come up with is about 100 years. Some could, would stretch it out, say, even longer. And so you have like 100 years. Like, I mean, we're, we're in... Uh, we're in 2024. I don't, they, they, I'm not even going to ask anybody, but I'm going to ask it in your head. I'm pretty sure that very few people here remember 1924. That's, that's a very long time ago. So I, I'm not looking at anybody. Uh, um, but I don't think there's any 100-year-olds, a couple that are close, but not, we're not quite there. And, and, uh, and so in 100 years, like your memories can kind of fade. Like, so, so they were taken captivity. And as slaves, you don't have a lot of freedoms. You have, what, what you have is work. And you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and your identity is lost. And so now God frees them from Egypt. And then they're basically, you know, what should take a couple days takes them 40 years because God has some lessons to teach them. And as they're wandering through the desert, God gives them the law. And that's a lo the second half really of, of Exodus is sort of these guidelines for how they're to live and how they're to conduct themselves. And in Exodus chapter 20, this is the 10th commandment about the Sabbath. Uh, there in chapter 20, verse 8, God writes to, to the people of Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is this, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is a super simple concept. God says, okay, you guys have been slaves for, for 100 years at, le at least. I feel like I can conservatively say that the people of Israel were slaves for 100 years. They had no concept of what it meant to have freedom, what it meant to be able to live your lives, how to construct your days, how to set your schedules, anything like this. And so as they come out, God says, okay, you work for six days. And on that seventh day, you just press pause. You don't, you don't do any work. You don't do any labor, not your animals, not your, not your friends, your family, your visitors, everybody's just to press pause from the stress and worries of the world and you're going to take the time to rest. And you're, you're, going to, you're going to focus on God. It's very simple. There was no real guidelines. It just said on the seventh day, press, pause, rest. It's beautiful. 
that we have a God that would give us the weekend. Like this is awesome. I mean, this is a huge blessing. And it wouldn't take that long for people to mess it up. And, and if you were to read even further and you're going to go into Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 25, the first seven verses, there's the idea of the Sabbath year that every seventh years, every, every seven years, you're supposed to give the land some, some rest. Now, now I'm not a, a farmer and I think this is called something, uh, but you know, like where you're supposed to rotate the land to give it rest. God says, hey, on the seventh year, like you just don't even rest, you just don't even do anything on the land. Just let it rest, let it heal, take the time. And it's just sort of setting this pattern for them. Um, there's something about the idea of a Sabbath or taking this rest that does require um, faith. It requires trusting of God. Uh, This is something that I've struggled with over the years, and I've worked really, really hard to kind of press pause on my, my life to kind of wire in sort of like a day off to make sure, you know what, this is something that's important, and I need to, to be on top of this. And so, so this is the Sabbath from the Bible. On the seventh day, you're to take a break. You're to take some rest. You're not to do anything. You're to let the, the cares of the world and your worries and everything that you need to do, just let it, let's put pause. It'll be there in 24 hours when you get back to your day-to-day grind. Take this time to rest, focus on God, honor him. And so here we are back to the story. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on the Sabbath. It's just like, in my mind, the weather's not like this. It's like a sunny spring day, nice and warm. They're passing through, laughing and talking, sort of just enjoying their Sabbath of rest. And then we see that as his disciples were picking heads of grain and rubbing, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. So they're kind of going along the road. They're kind of, you know, picking some stuff off the edges. And I always... I always feel like I have to point out that this wasn't breaking the law. Uh, I know we live in Valley Center, so it's, I've been up here for a while now. So now I'm like more Valley Center in my thinking than, than not. And before I moved to Valley Center, I didn't realize on how big of a deal it was to like grab an orange from somebody's grove. Like here, phew, stealing avocados is a crime. And your signs that will remind you, like if you see somebody like picking fruit off the side of the road, that's somebody's like livelihood. And they come up here like, no, no, never buy people, like never buy fruit from people on the side of the road because they've stolen that. It's like, oh, I had no idea, like all of the, but it's so cheap. It's like, yeah, because it's stolen. Like you, there's a lot of that. So, so it's very easy for us to read this from like a valley center mentality and go, these guys are, are like stealing food that's not theirs. So that's not the case. In the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, you don't have to go there. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 just a few pages after what we just read, we read there that when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing farm. So he's saying that what they're saying is, and the farmers, when they harvested, they were supposed to leave a little bit on the edges. And it's saying that as you're going along, you could go through and you could snack on the food that was there. It's, it's like uh, road trip snacks, you know, just in that day. There was no 7-Elevens and they just made it so it was nice and convenient for people on their way. And the exception was, hey, but you're not supposed to take a machete and start harvesting. And if you're harvesting the stuff so that you can carry it out with you to sell to somebody in the aftermarket, that is wrong and that was against the law. But taking taken enough for you to eat and snack on, that's totally acceptable and encouraged. 
And so in this story, as they're walking along on the Sabbath, they're picking, it's very important to notice, picking, they're picking the heads of grain, they're rubbing them in their hands, and then they're eating them. This is going to be super important because it's, it, well, I'll get there. It's going to be, this is a big deal as the story unfolds in verse 2. But some of the Pharisees said, so it's almost like these guys just jump out of the bushes. Like I get the impression that these guys are like, the disciples are going along, minding their own business. They're sort of in a rural setting. And the Pharisees are just like stalking them everywhere they go. And as soon as these guys pick a little head and do this number, they like jump out. <laughs> Why do you not do what is lawful on the Sabbath? And so they make this accusation. You guys are breaking the law. But I've already read to you, they're not breaking the law. It's like this, they, they were allowed to snack. Um, so, so like the law, let's, let's get to the law. It's a Saturday. The, the law, the Sabbath law was very clear. Rest, don't work, okay? So they're on a stroll. They reach out, they have a little snack. That doesn't really constitute work in my mind. And they hop out of the bushes and they're saying, why are you breaking the law? And so their, their accusations are sort of, um, how to address this? Exodus chapter 20, verse 28, very simple. It was, don't work, take a day of rest, honor God during this day of rest. There's no expansion on it. But if you keep reading to Exodus chapter 35, verse 2, as you're encouraged to, 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 to honor the Sabbath, it came with a warning. And it says, for six days, work may be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. So it's kind of like really, really, really open-ended. And if you violated it, it came with a harsh consequence, like you shall be put to death. And so then the religious leaders thought, okay, you know what? It's very open-ended, but like, how do we protect the people from violating this accidentally? Because if they violate it, then they have to be put to death. And so you could see how you'd want to put some guardrails up. And so I kind of, I, I, I want to think that initially that when this started, it was done with like good intentions. And they, they went about, okay, like, is, is uh, I don't know, like, does this, does this count as work? If you're out and you're uh, harvesting your fields um, to, because you're a farmer, does that count as work? They say, yeah, 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 that's work. We shouldn't be doing that. And then like, ah, but what if you're like a recreational gardener and you have a little backyard with some raised gardens and then you start doing some stuff there? It's work for them. So it's probably work for you also. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could, you're making a strong case. And I'd hate to execute somebody because they had some like tomato plants in their backyard and they thought they were just enjoying their Saturday. Then all of a sudden I realized that this is work and now we got to kill them because they did this on Saturday. And then, then it kind of like, well, if that's the case, what if you're on a walk on a Saturday and there's some grains there and you like pick one and then you eat it just as a snack? Is that work or is that not work? And they'd be like, well, you know, technically when you pick the head, you're harvesting. You're harvesting one. And then when you do it in your hand, that's technically threshing and you're blowing away the excess and you have the seeds. 
And then if you eat it, you're preparing a meal. Well, you make a really strong case. So, so then they have all of these fences, these little man-made rules, additions to the law that they've created that then have become like laws sort of accepted by the people, but not necessarily like a law within the Bible. And these things are silly. I mean, if you go through the Mishnah, the, the rabbinic writings, there's like so much stuff of like, I, I can't even remember. Like I've skimmed them before. Like the one that comes to my mind right now is like if a girl had a little piece of rope around her uh, like robe or dress or whatever, um, she could use that to pull up water from the well, but you couldn't use a rope because that would constitute a work. Or maybe it was tying the knot. Like there's all of these silly things that, that when we look back, they're just silly. But during their day, they're like, well, we don't want to execute the, the death penalty. And, and so it created this set of rules that people are taking really seriously. And as I'm going through this, I mean, we just, we, you think it's really silly, but we just experienced this not too long ago. Like we, um, I don't know if you guys remember COVID. <laughs> do, you, uh, do, do you guys do remember COVID? You remember it? <laughs> and it wasn't like, we were like three weeks in and it was like, if you didn't have a mask on or you had a mask on, if you're like, wait, you're breaking the law. And it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. What law am I breaking? Like they put out a regulation, that's not a law. And it quickly like turned into like all of the things that you could and couldn't do. And then people were like saying, hey, you're breaking the law. You're not breaking the law. But they're like, that's not actually the law. That's not like a, I'm, I'm not a, a, like a lawyer or a policeman. But like to actually be a law, there are certain things that have to happen, but none of these things were actually done. And so it's kind of like this sort of thing. These aren't actually laws, but the people understood them to be as if it was from the very word of God. And so as they're eating and they're doing this stuff, they say, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? So the Pharisees, as they make this accusation, they're saying from their Mishnah, their writings, their teachings, they had constituted that if you were, it was a Saturday and you're walking down the road and you ate some grain off the side of the road that you harvested, you threshed, and then you prepared a meal and that was not allowed on the Sabbath. And so these guys just witnessed them break the Sabbath laws. And so they, they come to Jesus, they make the accusation, they take in this beautiful gift that God has given of the Sabbath, this, this thing of a day of rest that was supposed to be a blessing to, to people had become a, a, uh, a weapon, something that they could use to come down and scold and hurt the people that were trying to live their lives for God. So this blessing had been a, become a curse. They created all these laws. And it's kind of fun. The irony is, is the Pharisees are working really, really hard on the Sabbath to try to correct Jesus. But they don't see, they, they don't see their own legalism. They don't see their own hypocrisy. They, they're, you know, at very best, they think, well, we're just trying to protect, uh, we're trying to protect the scripture and we're trying to protect the people, but that's hardly what they were doing. And so Jesus answering them said in verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he took and he ate the consecrated bread, 
which is not lawful for any to eat, except the priest alone, and he gave it to his companions. So this is a story back in 1 Samuel 21. We're not going to go there. But if you remember this, this account, um, David had been sort of appointed by God to be the next king. Saul is still alive. Saul doesn't really like the fact that David had been appointed king. David's trying to honor the current king, and the current king is trying to kill David. So David and his mighty men are sort of like running from, from, from the king. They're trying to stay alive. They find themselves down by the Dead Sea. They go into this place where the priest is, and they're like, dude, we're starving. Do you have any food? And the priest is like, no, 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 we don't have any food. It's like, we have this consecrated bread, but that's not food, and I'm not allowed to like feed it to you. But David, you know, Gunner's putting this into my own memory. But it's like, please, man, we're starving. Like, please, like, serve God in this way. And the priest asks him a couple questions. Like, have these things been going on in your life? Are you guys clean? Are all this stuff? And, and David's like, yes, yes, yes. And the priest is like, okay. Like, the law says that this bread is only for the priests to eat under these specific circumstances, but I can see your need. I can see that it's valid. And so therefore, the human need, the human suffering trumps this regulation that's been put into place, and I'm going to give it to you. And David took the bread. He ate, he ate the bread. The equivalent would be if somebody came really hungry to church on like a Monday, and like it's hard to even put it because we don't even think this way. But if somebody like comes to the door and says, hey, I'm hungry, do you have any food? It's like, no, no, we don't have any food. But I'm like, I do have some stale matzah crackers that are like in the kitchen. Would, those, would you, and like, and some leftover grape juice. Like, and so I could see somebody being super offended that I'm passing out like our communion crackers to some homeless guy or whatever that's starving. But that's the spirit of it. It's like, hey, you can take and eat these crackers and we have some grape juice. And I'll just talk to Melanie and said, hey, I kind of like, I uh, got, I kind of loaned it out to somebody, you know, like, and we need some more. That's kind of what's going on in the story there. And, and Jesus looks at these guys. He's like, you guys are the leaders. Don't you remember the story? Don't you remember reading this story? This is the same sort of thing, but it was okay then. And in Matthew's account of the story, he takes it a notch further. He says, you know that on Saturdays, the priests, the religious leaders who you represent, it's their work day. It's the day they work the hardest. And you have no complaints against them working on the Saturday, yet you're kind of coming after me. And so he kind of highlights that scripture, like the intent of scripture, is that these things are always intended to be a blessing to humanity, not a curse to humanity. And he's sort of showing them their hypocrisy. And then in verse five, he says, and he was saying to them, the son of man, this is that title from Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, the son of man, that's who he's referring, he, he is placing himself in that role as the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. They don't recognize who Jesus is. A few months ago, there was a funny, uh, like, a, like, a, like a little video circulating. It, it might've even made the news. But for those of you who know The Office, you'll know the character Dwight Schrute, right? And I don't know Dwight Schrute's real name, but Dwight Schrute found himself on an airplane in first class, like where they have like the little compartments. And he's sitting there on a flight and the guy next to him for this long flight is watching The Office the whole time. And Dwight Schrute, the real guy, I don't know his real name, he like leans over to the guy at the end of the flight. He's like, oh, you like that show? And the guy's like, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. It kind of grew, grew on me. 
like through the flight. And then he like pulls down his mask. He's like, hey, you're sitting next to Dwight Schrute right here. And it was like the poor guy, like 12 hours is like laughing and enjoying the show. And right next to him is the character. And he had no idea. And, and I bring this up because what Jesus is saying to them is like, you guys are like waiting for the Messiah. And he pulls down his back. He's like, I'm right here. Like, I am the Lord over this. I am the author of the Bible. I am the one who wrote the Sabbath. I understand what the intention of these rules and regulations were. We are not violating them. And if you take this all the way out, when you bump into somebody and they tell you that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God and nowhere in the Bible do they say that Jesus is the, the creator of the universe, it's just absolutely not wrong. This right here, Jesus is saying, I am. I am the one who wrote this book. I am the one that back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, thousands of years prior to their existence, I am the one who wrote that. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who dictates how the Sabbath is to be used or not used. Story kind of, we don't, we, don't, we don't get any reaction from them. Luke continues on to another Saturday. On another Sabbath, he entered, verse six, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Matthew says he entered their synagogue, meaning the Pharisee's synagogue, so this is like enemy territory. On another Sabbath, he entered their or the synagogue, and he was teaching. Uh, just as a sort of a reminder, in Jerusalem, you had the temple. This is like the big mothership. And then from the big mothership all around sort of the known world, there were synagogues. And a synagogue was like a smaller, think of it like a local church. They had to have X amount of, like, I, it's not, I don't have it in my notes, it's not my memory, but I think it was something like they had to like eight or 10 adult males that were believers. And if they had a certain number of adult men, then they could form a synagogue. And it was sort of like the gathering where they would gather on Saturdays, they would teach you the scriptures, they would go through all of the, the things, the religious ceremonies. And so Jesus is going into the synagogue and he was teaching. I can only imagine the climate in this place. Uh, I, I sensed that it was filled with people. Jesus had a reputation. People were following after him. There were people who, were, who had injuries, who had sickness. They're flocking to him. And whenever they found out where he was, they would go. They were going there uh, to be healed. And then I'm sure there were other people who had heard about Jesus and they'd heard about all the healings and they'd heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. And so they're flocking to the situation, the onlookers to see what would happen? And so now we entered the synagogue and we learned that there was a man whose right hand was, was withered. So just imagine like his right hand, it like dried out and it's like curved down and it's just like it's been years of no use or no functionality. Um, I feel like, I can't remember who it was, but I feel like I met like a cowboy or something that had an injury and he killed all the nerves. And so he, his hand was just like this and it was not usable, but all of the digits were there. And so I'm, I'm imagining... That, that picture in my mind, his hand is withered. And so then you're in the synagogue and you have all the, the onlookers and it's like, oh great, we got a guy that's handicapped over there. I wonder if that's gonna be the one or like if maybe there's like all of these different people and they're like, okay, the stage is set. There are people here who need healing. Is he gonna do it? Are we gonna be able to witness it? So on one hand, there's excitement. But then we learn in verse seven that the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. 
So now some commentators suggest that the, the scribes and the Pharisees grabbed this guy with the injured hand and they brought him into the synagogue to assure that there would be somebody who needs, needed healing so that they could see if Jesus would heal or not. It is so cruel to think that if that's the case, certainly in how they react about the men and how they go through this, they are not exactly the most compassionate people. And we see it right here. So that the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. They're just looking for a way to condemn Jesus. And so again, we see that they're not compassionate. They're not like, hey, there's a guy that really needs help. We've heard like, we in our right, we've tried to do everything we could do to heal this injured guy. There's nothing we can do. We've heard about Jesus. Let, like, let's try to, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity. They're not there trying to help this guy. Um, they could care less about this guy. All they care about is trying to have Jesus do something that violated their rules that they created so that they, uh, at the end of the story, I think it's in Matthew, they, this is the point when they figure out a way or they're going to determine a way that they can kill Jesus. Uh, Luke doesn't end as strongly, but so they want to get him. The stage is set. They're just waiting to pounce on Jesus. And we're told in verse 8 that he knew what they were thinking. So we see like this, the, the omni, the, the om, oh wait, it's one of those big theological words. I'm trying to, is it omnipotence? Like omniscience is where he can, he knows what they're, they're thinking. And he's powerful. He knows how to like interact with them. He knows what they're thinking. And so he, he said uh, to the withered, he said to the withered man, he, wait, he said, my mind's just racing ahead because this is like a, such a great story. He said to the withered, he said to the man with the withered hand, not the withered man with a hand, uh, <laughs> which is what I'm trying to like. He said to the man with the withered head, get up and come forward. And he got up and he came forward. So like he can tell, this guy's here. Pharisees are ready to like pounce on Jesus. Jesus just doesn't heal him from up there. He says, hey, guy with the withered hand, come up here. So the guy with the withered hand, he's like, oh, this is awesome. Like what's going on? I could hear the, like, the, you know, like the excitement of this. Jesus is doing this kind of for the Pharisees. He knows what they're thinking. So he brings the guy front and centered. And, uh, you know, Skippy's sitting on here. I can make Skippy come up as an illustration, but I'm not going to. He's, he's like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. Um, <laughs> I need to be careful of my joking. So nobody knows where this is going to go. The Pharisees are there just like super ready to pounce on him. Jesus knows that they're super ready to pounce on him. The poor guy with the hand is like, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to get healed. Like, I haven't seen my hand since I was six years old or whenever his injury, or maybe he was born this way. Like, and then there's the onlookers who are like, we're going to see this man, Jesus, do this healing, and this is going to be exceptional. And so in verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? Really simple question. So now he has the guy up front, withered hand. He's not talking to this guy. He like looks at the Pharisees who he knows are thinking the thoughts that they're thinking. He knows the criticism in their heart before he even does anything. And he asks them a question. Okay, guys, it's a Saturday. Now on a Saturday... Is it okay to do good? That's a trick question. We don't, we don't get their answer. And I don't, we know from other instances that they don't like to answer Jesus' question because they, they're like, well, if I answer this way, he'll do this. And if I answer this way, he'll say that. And so let's just kind of not say anything. 
So we don't, we don't get a reaction. And he says, well, is it okay to do harm on the Sabbath? And I'm sure everybody say, no. Is it okay to save a life or to destroy a life on a Sabbath? And so these are questions that, that are, that these are questions that don't require like an answer. Like, of course, on the Sabbath, you can do good. Of course, on the Sabbath, you can save a life. Of course, on the Sabbath, you shouldn't be killing somebody or hurting somebody. You should be doing good. Over in Matthew, he's going to take this, this, this context and he's going to expand it even further. And he's going to basically say, hey, the most of us um, are shepherds here and we're familiar with shepherds. And if you have a sheep that finds himself on a ditch on, on, a, on a Saturday, are you going to go get the, are you going to go get the sheep? Like, I, like I've been around a lot of cowboys and like Anna's grandpa was a big old, like not, he wasn't a big old guy. He was a little guy with a big old ranch and a lot of cattle. And I like, it's pretty cool when you're up there and it's like, the phone rings. It's like, hey, some of your cows are out. It's like, all hands on deck. It doesn't matter if it's rain and snow and like, we're all going to get out there. And, and like, I've had the opportunity of being on like the little roundup and not knowing what I was going to do and super afraid of the cows and just glad I had nothing. <laughs> like, I had no, I, thankfully I wasn't involved. Thankfully the job got done. Like, thankfully it went much calmer than, than uh, the shows I've watched, like when animals attack. And... <laughs> It was really simple. They just went up, they opened the gate, and the cows walked through the gate, and then they closed the gate. But it was like, if this was a Sabbath, Jesus is saying, if one of your animals is hurt, you're going you're, you're gonna to go get your, your sheep out of the ditch, and you're going to fix it, and you're going to help it, even if it's a Saturday, because that's the spirit of the law. Like that's, The idea of the Sabbath is for you to rest. Of course, there are situations when you're going to have to do something. Over in Mark in this, Mark ends with Jesus saying and reminding them that the Sabbath that the, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was a blessing from God to the people. It wasn't designed as they made it to be like this, this test that you had to pass and that it was a deep, deep burden to the people. Not at all. Like that your work week was easier than Saturday and Saturday was like, oh man, I wish I could go back to work. Like, you know, like the whole, thank God it's Monday because Saturday was horrible. Like I can't do another, you know what I mean? Like that's the, the idea. And so they clearly, they don't respond in verse 10. And I wish, this is like one where I wish we had video of this, this situation. He asked these really easy questions. These questions that you should be able to like answer without batting an eye. Of course, you can do good on the Sabbath. Of course, you shouldn't hurt anybody on the Sabbath. Of course, you could help. Like, of course. What kind of God do you think we serve? Like, of course, God is in the business of helping people. And they couldn't. And we see that Jesus is looking around at all of them. And I just imagine him like making eye contact, like furious at them. Like, you're the leaders of Israel and you can't answer this simple question? And now he said to him, the guy with the withered hand, who's like, oh man, what I get myself? I thought I was going to get healed. Like, I'm up here and I, this isn't good. Like, I don't know. Like, and if they did bring him in there, he's like, man, these guys brought me in here. I just thought I was going to get healed. I didn't realize I was going to get in this. Like, this looks like, 
you guys just sort this out on your own. I'll be good. I'm like, I'm, I've lived my whole life without this hand. I can go another couple years. Like, I'm fine. But now he looks at, G, at this guy and he says, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. It, it like just is like the, uh, like it just kind of takes you back to like Moses. So like, how's this going to work? Put your hand in, take your hand out, put your hand in, put your hand out. Like this like instant healing, like in their midst, there's a miracle. And you would think that in observing this, their reaction would be like Peter's with the fish. Like, get away from me, Jesus. I have no business being near you, for I am a sinful man. We are sinful men. We know nothing of the law. We know nothing of the scriptures. What you just did was clearly like evidence that you're God. But we have a but they. Verse 11, but they themselves were filled with rage. That doesn't seem to be the right emotion to have in witnessing this. And they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Again, in Matthew, they, from this moment, they began to plan how they might kill him. And it's like the, I don't know if it's irony, but like the, the religious blindness that they had they were so far away from God, but they were sort of clothed in like religion and rules and thinking, and thinking that they were obeying and enforcing the things of the scriptures. And I think that there's like a warning for us that it's really easy to go down this like slippery path like this morning, there was a group of a couple of guys in the lobby and we were like pretty early. And it was like, one of the comments was like, oh man, I miss, I miss, I miss the, the early days of my faith. Me- meaning that like, man, before I knew anything, like before, like before I like studied the Bible and before I like knew what the Bible said and before I knew these like great like theological concepts and it was just like Jesus and it was fresh and it was exciting and I was blind, but, but then I could see and all I wanted was more of him. And then it's like you go through and you learn and you study, which is important, but it's so easy for us to just become like these, these Pharisees. And it's like Larry Osborne has the book. I really enjoyed it. It was Accidental Pharisee. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us is you go through your life and you set these sort of guidelines that are really good. And then you go through your life and then the guidelines sort of become rules. And then these rules become sort of things, uh, not just barriers for your own life, but if other people aren't following your guidelines, then they're less than before God. And then before you know it, without even you realizing it, you're just like the Pharisees. But on the other side, it's like as we walk with God and we study his word and we grapple with theological truths, like we should highlight and grow and develop our relationship with him. We should grow and know the scriptures. We should have deep theological things. It should uh, deepen and strengthen our relationship with God and our understanding. But so here these guys are. Jesus heals a guy, they want to kill a guy. And it's, the, the irony is that Jesus asks, is it okay to kill on Saturday or is it okay to help on Saturday? And they know the right answer is they, it's okay to help on Saturday, 
but in their hearts, they've already murdered Jesus. So what do we, like, what do, we do with this like, passage? And as I reduce it, like the, the first thing that stands out to me is Jesus's claim about being God. Like Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord over all. We see his heart for, for people whom he created. And I think it's important to note that he wants us to find rest in him. There's inward rest, which I think that like, you're not gonna find rest until you're actually at peace with God. And so Jesus has made it possible for you to be at peace with God. Like he came, he lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, he suffered on the cross. He died on the cross. He absorbed the wrath that was due us for our sins. He took it all. And then he was buried and then he rose again on the third day. He conquered death. And the Bible's claim is really simple that he died for you and all you have to do to receive, like what's, what's asked of you, the gift that's on the table is belief. Trust that he did it for you. And in that moment, we're told that the spirit of God seals you for the day of redemption, that you have life in him, that you have healing in him, that your, your withered soul, the guy had the external withered hand, but your withered heart, your withered soul, all of a sudden it's restored. And then in this, there's like the external of the flow and pattern of our life. God desires us to have our lives marked with this pattern of you work for six days. Like we live in a culture where it's even like, hey, work five days and then take two days off. But work, work hard and then take a day off and rest. And if you're wired to work, to, to pause and to take that day off, it's super hard. And I do believe that there's a spiritual warfare happening on this idea of, of the Sabbath, that if you pause and you take a day off, it's like, oh no, you're worthless. You're not, you're not doing what you can do. Like how could you take a day off and, and have some rest built into your life? Well, we serve a God who says, you know what? I, I worked for six days and I took a day off. Like God could have created everything in just like a nanosecond, but he decided to take six whole days to create the universe. And then he took a day of rest, which he doesn't even need. And it seems that the whole creation account was set up so that we as humans would say, well, I'm not more important than God and God did this. So it's very like, it's okay for me to take a day off. And so I'd encourage you, like the American dream so often like pushes up against what God has asked us to like take a day of rest. It seems so simple, but it can, like if you struggle with this, you know how hard it can be. And I believe that God is telling each one of us who are his children, take a day off, do it every week, reset your thinking, reset your mind. Trust me, if you take a day off, everything will be fine and it'll be good for you and it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for you are so good to us. You're such an awesome God that you would desire us to, to pause every week just to take some time off, to rest and to do nothing, to spend a whole day in our pajamas and to just not do anything. It doesn't sit well against those of us with like hard work ethics and we like to do stuff but there is something about just 
pausing and resting and seeking you and doing a whole lot of nothing. And so we thank you that you are the God of the weekend and the God of rest. And so, Father, I pray uh, for each person here that you would help us to ultimately find rest in you through salvation, that we would trust in the work of Christ uh, for our relationship with you. And for those of us who have trusted in you, Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you with our schedules. There's so much stuff that needs to get done. And it's so easy to fill our days with all kinds of things, legitimate things that need to get done. And so to press pause for 24 hours just seems impossible at times. And sometimes it is. But Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who would be able to to order our lives in a way that you desire us to order them, that we would find peace, uh, that we would find rest, even with taking a day of rest. We love you, God, that you work this way and desire this of us. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.